We have to take a radical, that means to the root, radix, a radical personal ownership of the call to evangelization. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am here alone. Dave had a teleconference visit with one of Amber's doctors, so we have to reschedule, but I wanted to be able to get this out there as immediately as possible. So, as always, keep your continued prayers coming for Amber and for her healing and for, you know, the, just the sanity in the Van Vickle household as they try to deal with all the different appointments and doctor's visits and job changes that they have. Well, today what we talked about, oh, ooh, let me do one bit of follow-up first. To every one of our distributist fans that are out there, I got in a couple of email exchanges with some of you, but I have to say something. <laughs> this is funny. When the first... Uh, when the first podcast series went out on this two-parter that we did on balancing the winsomeness of evangelization with the idea of the culture war and all that stuff and how even the phrase culture war as something separate from evangelization, that stuff just needs to go away. I can understand why it's helpful to make distinctions, but we can evangelize in every situation and we can call people to repentance in the midst of our evangelization. Anywho. The funniest thing that happened was I was trying to <laughs> use the analogy of how, you know, hardcore Catholics like distributors can sound like radical, you know, socialists in their critique of capitalism. And I was trying to point that out, just using it as a distinction. Man, I tell you, I have not gotten so much negative feedback in my life for this show than people being like, what do you got against distributism? Nothing. I love it. It's wonderful. That was just an analogy that I was using to make a bigger point. But I will say this. Those of you who got upset with my three acres and a cow reference, uh, y'all were so nice to me. We have the best fans. I love you all as much as I love the Chester Bellockian distributism. And if you don't know what distributism is, well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> just ignore this part. Okay, so what I want to do was tackle that wonderful and difficult and complex email that Linnea, Linnea, I hope I'm saying your name right, you're Swedish, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, that Linnea wrote. Um, and it is such a difficult and complicated thing that I wanted to break it down and spend some time on certain ideas that have been like fomenting in my cranium. So here she says, I have a question about parish ministry. My parish is in Sweden, 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 uh, Sweden on the very fringes of the Catholic world, and it's poor financially. Okay, so it's on the outskirts. So Sweden is like a Lutheran country, at least it used to be. Only ministry that we have is a children's catechism group that's somewhat working. Okay, so think about that. Fringes of the Catholic world, very poor, and children's catechism is the only thing that's basically working. Any other faith formation is non-existent, and she's worried that we are slowly falling apart. We've lost a lot of parishioners who have left the Catholic faith and our parish, barely no young adults left, and teenagers are now almost non-existent. Complicating matters is that our parish consists of people, if I remember correctly, about 30 or so different countries and different traditions. Some speak only a bit of Swedish and some speak only a bit of English. And so everything has to be done in at least those two languages at the same time. And parishioners tend to group together with only their fellow countrymen. We try to form a young adult group, but I think because of language difficulties and a lack of form, it fell apart. Myself coming from a Protestant background before I converted to the Catholic faith, 
I feel disheartened at the lack of community and saddened at the loss of fellow Catholics and fellow potential converts that are left to fend for themselves and usually leaves before getting close enough to joining the church. What would be some practical tips on how a parish like ours to get started or at least build some sort of community and ministry once our country opens up after the COVID restrictions? Where could we start and how, especially since our access to faithful Catholic programs and resources here in Sweden are very limited? Thank you for your show. I love it. Exclamation point. Kind regards, Linnea. Well, we love you for listening. Spread the good word. Sweden needs EKSB. So the way I look at it, we got we got eight major issues. The first and foremost, COVID restrictions. Got it. Fringes of the Catholic world, poor financially and small, no real faith formation. Young people are gone. Language barriers are real. Some people are leaving because of no community. And the content in Swedish is very, very limited when it comes to uh, the Catholic faith. So this is what I want to say. This is very, very difficult. It's a way outside where I do ministry. But I've been thinking about this now for two weeks. And this was my opening thought. It seems like you and your parish have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. You're the most dangerous person in the world, right? No one fights harder than someone who has nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. So that means you can go all in with a radical approach to evangelization and discipleship. And I mean radical discipleship. We're talking call of the apostles, Peter, James, Andrew, John. I don't know why I mix up the brothers there. Just leaving their nets and going out. You are commissioned right here and right now as you hear the beautiful tones of my voice. You are called to go out into your community and make disciples, to start radically evangelizing and inviting people into the life of the church. Because if you don't, if you don't, If you don't, and you're writing this email and you're listening to our podcast because God has put something on your heart to do something before it all falls apart. And you're right. It is going to. All the trajectories, when you get rid of young people and all you have is older people, you don't have a tomorrow, right? This is the deal. Baby boomers have funded and filled our churches, right? So all of the stuff, when baby boomers were younger, they were more so uh, socially active, they supported, and this is all across the board, right? More socially active, more community oriented, more family oriented, but they raised a generation of people that got less and less. And I don't know all the reasons why Bowling Alone by uh, Robert Putnam, Harvard sociologist, talks about this, but it's fascinating to see how these trends is precipitous off a cliff in terms of young people seeing any point for a faith. So here's the deal. You have to radically reorient yourself or you will die, right? There was a program or a book title that's so funny because the title is actually amazing, but incredibly stupid. So it's written by a, a heretic who is a total compromiser in every way, shape, and form between Christianity and the modern world. Uh, Bishop Spong, I think is how you pronounce his name, from the Anglican Communion. And he wrote a book called Why Christianity Must Change or Die. And he literally walked through like the creed and was like, nope, done away with this, doing away with that, doing away with that. Now that's stupid. But the idea of like why Christianity must change or die is very, very real or why the church must change or die is very real because not in her essential teachings, but in the way we live our Catholic faith and the way we do the parish. This is what reform and renewal is all about. We had J.D. Flynn, 
the founder of the Pillar Catholic, uh, Catholic uh, Media Project, and he was he was on my other show, um, Catching Foxes. He said reform comes about by adjusting and amending uh, our human institutions, and renewal comes about by an outpouring of grace of the Holy Spirit. Pray for renewal, work for reform. That's the idea. Pray for renewal, work for reform. You can't micromanage the Holy Spirit. All you can do is be radically obedient. So if you see all the, the signs are there, all the red flags are there, all the markers are there, you are going off a cliff. Your whole parish is going to be dead in 30 years, okay? It won't exist. This is happening all over the country, all over the world. You are already on a cliff because you're in Sweden, of the very fringes of the Catholic world, according to you. So then let's do it. Let's see this, okay? We can do this. We can say, okay, here I am on the frontier. Okay. Imagine you're the apostle to Sweden, the first Catholic who went out to evangelize. And you're sitting here and you're like, none of these people believe in Christ. None of these people lift up the name of Jesus. None of these people have a desire to receive Christ in the Eucharist and to live according to the morality of the gospel. You know, we have, where do we start? Where do we start? Here's a beautiful thing. Okay. This is the best advice. I have been thinking about this for two weeks, like I said, really intensely since me and Dave talked about it last week. I uh, this, is, this is my radical plan, okay? Burn the boats. You're not going back. You have to look forward. How do you build faith, community, ministry? Do not fight for the parish to thrive, okay? I think one of the things that is limiting our ability to respond to this generation's needs and to your own community's needs is we keep thinking in terms of parish, 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 parish. Right now, I believe, and I think the reason why I said it's limiting is because when we think in terms of the parish, we think in terms of two things, mass attendance, program attendance, mass attendance, program attendance, or programs that I can offer on campus or, or whatever it might be. Stop thinking that way. This is the problem with Catholicism and or with laity in Catholicism is we put these big blinders on and we only think of Catholicism in terms of mass attendance and the programs that I offer. Right. So if I offer Alpha, oh no, you're offering Alpha. That's this. Okay. Well, I'm going to offer Christ Life. And the thing that shows that I'm an evangelizing parish is I have programs at the parish that evangelize. No, stop thinking this way. Everyone listening to me, we all have to stop thinking this way. We have to take a radical, that means to the root, radix, a radical personal ownership of the call to evangelization, a radical personal ownership to the call of evangelization. What does that mean? Number one, you have to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know you guys are probably so annoyed at me and Dave constantly hammering this home, but get your life right. I just did a meditation on the gospel of Mark chapter one, all right? I'm doing Exodus 90. I'm living the Exodus 90 lifestyle, the, the cold shower lifestyle, and I hate it. Um, But the gospel reflection today, Jesus goes and calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, calls them, and they immediately leave their nets and come follow him. Why is that important in this? You have to look at your life. Where am I not dropping my nets? Where am I keeping my toe uh, back in the fishing world? Why am I afraid to become a fisher of men? Christ is calling you right now to do this, to become a fisher of men, to have a radical discipleship. Now, my guess is, Linnea, you have at least one other person who feels the way you feel, who have the burden, that holy burden on your heart 
if we don't do something, it's all going to fall apart. We have to change the way we do faith or it's all going to die, right? As Sherry Waddell says, maintenance doesn't even maintain, right? When you get into maintenance mode and you leave missionary mode, what happens? Uh, you just have a decline. That's what you're going to have. So if we don't radically alter program structures, everything, the way we look at how we live our Catholic faith in the world, then it's all going to keep going down. Okay, so you personally, individually, right, put a little dot on a piece of paper, that's you, your radical relationship to Christ. Keep those words in your head at all times, my radical relationship with Christ. Then one other person, I'm going to form a community with one other person. Every Peter needs his Andrew, every James needs his John. You need to do this. Now, if you can have four people do it, awesome, but you're going to say, okay, I am done pretending, I'm done playing games with my faith, I'm done with half measures and half-heartedness and half-sanctity, I am going to go all in. Now, what this means, I would say, if you have one other person or three other people or something like that, it doesn't, you don't need more than that. You don't need to have a room filled with people who are like, yes, give me the Bible. No, you just need to have a bunch of people or a couple people. <laughs> I just said, you don't need to have a bunch and then I say bunch. You don't need to have numbers. What you need to have is intensity of faithfulness, right? So you let Christ be the center of those relationships. It's not about your politics. It's not about your, you know, whatever, where, where you favor restaurants and all that stuff. You are focusing right here, right now on how you can radically change your life and how you can radically welcome people into the gospel. You begin praying together. I would say that you call for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit every single week. You do an hour prayer every single week on an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, you start with praising God continuously. You ask the Holy Spirit to pray with you and in you because we do not know how to pray as we ought. You beg the Holy Spirit to anoint your prayer time and you just call on him to bless and to fall upon your town, your people, everyone in your zone of influence. So instead of fighting for the parish to thrive, you are fighting for your faith to thrive as an individual, right? It's not programs that are going to save us. It's the person, Jesus Christ. So you're pouring out the Holy Spirit into your hearts and then for others. And then I'm going to tell you this. We're going to ratchet it up another step. I don't know what your fasting and abstinence is like. Everyone should refrain from eating meat on Friday. If you aren't dirt poor, you need to absolutely refrain from eating meat on Friday. This is a part of the Catholic faith. There's a reason why it matters. But don't just abstain medically if you're okay to do this. Fast, fast. Treat it like a Friday during Lent every single Friday for the rest of your life. If you already do that, then pick up Wednesday. The traditional life of fasting and prayer is Wednesdays and Fridays in the Christian church. And then you can go all the way back to the Didache, the earliest non-biblical Christian document, and it says Christians everywhere fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. So what I would encourage you to do is fast once a week. If you're big into praying the rosary, then go out and pray the rosary as like a daily part of your routine. One of the things I do is I walk around my neighborhood and pray the rosary because I want to sanctify this place. I want to till the soil of people's hearts even before I see them, even before I smile at them, even before I give them you know, a piece of paper or brochure telling them they're going to go to hell for all eternity unless they accept Jesus. That's the Baptist way of doing it. Um, <laughs> what I want to do is get you focused on the other but you're not doing it with your own initiative. You're doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Renewal is a movement of the Spirit. Next, if you have one or three or however many people who are like-minded with you, 
all of you decide from the beginning you're going to go to confession together. I mean, not like in the same room with the priest and going to confession, but you're going to book a time with the priest. You're going to go to confession. Okay. And then you're going to go and receive the Eucharist as soon as possible. You're going to do this as soon as possible. Why? Because the foundation of preaching is always personal repentance and then a call to repentance, right? It's a, that idea of repentance. So you want to make confession at the center of your life. And then the Eucharist obviously is the source and summit of our Christian life because it's Jesus. So if you think that your church is dying, uh, let's turn to the bread of life. Let us turn to Jesus Christ, who is the source of our life and the summit of the Christian life. So we want communion to be the center of our evangelizing activity. Okay. Number four. So number one, pray weekly for conversion. Number two, fast once a week and pray the rosary. Number three, go to confession and receive the Eucharist as soon as possible with your group of people. Uh, number four, throw yourself into Mark's gospel. This is the probably the liturgical season of Mark. I, I say probably because I have not been paying to anything uh, <laughs> liturgically. I'm so lost in, in trying to rebuild stuff after COVID. But throw yourself into Mark's gospel. Like say, I want to be a lion like this gospel and throw yourself into it. Don't stop. Don't hesitate. Go aggressively into Mark's gospel. Wouldn't you know it? Chapter one, I think it's around verse uh, 14. Uh, the verse words of Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So that's what you're going to do. Like God, God, we don't have anything left. Your forerunner, your John the Baptist has been arrested and executed. There is a nothing left. The bridges have been burned. The ships have been burned. All you have to do is to go forward and bring the kingdom. Okay. And then uh, five. Okay. We got COVID restrictions. I don't know what your restrictions are like. You're a continental European. Uh, so it might be a little bit different than, uh, me here in, uh, the wild West Texas. I have a feeling though, that you can sneak to each other's houses, even if you can't go to the church or if you're limited in the church, I need you to meet. I need you to meet weekly. I need you to make this a priority. I need your families to be on board with you meeting weekly. So create whatever structure works best for your fraternity, sorority, whatever group of people you have, Linnea. And I need you to fervently and frequently put the home at the center. Let me give you an analogy. I remember one time I was talking with Sherry Waddell, uh, forming intentional disciples. I love Sherry Waddell. So uh, she clarified a lot of things that were just vague things, vague thoughts in my head. Um, Sherry did something very powerful. She laid out for me how a typical non-denominational evangelical church gets started in a city or town. We see the mega church. We don't know the history behind it. Often a pastor, his wife, and a few like-minded fervent people who all have the charism of evangelization and are committed disciples meet and pray together in homes. And it becomes a part of their life. The idea of starting and growing a church. And so that church starts in their home. Their home becomes the center point from which all evangelization and prayer begins, okay? And then from that, they begin inviting people. Hey, you want to come here? Hey, you want to come here? Hey, you want to come here? And then people begin coming until that space fills to overflowing. They don't move from there. And because they need the whole group to feel like this movement of the spirit is too big for any one house. So then they rent a space. They might meet in a public school. They might meet in you know a theater or whatever. And then eventually they go to a building that's a dedicated space to do a capital campaign from the people who are fervently inspired by these disciples who are engaged in mission. Okay. That's you. 
You already got the building. You got the church, okay? Don't worry about the church part. That comes last. Like I said, don't try to fight for your local parish to thrive because it's not. We have to stop with this programs and parish-centered mindset only, right? The parish is obviously an important part of everything. You belong to the parish. The people who need to belong to the parish don't and won't. So what you're trying to do is build as a baptized, commissioned priest, prophet, and king, you are trying to build the local church and you're going to build it in your own home. So I want you to look around at your house. I want you to look in your family room, whatever the biggest space you have in your house and say, I am consecrating this to the Lord. I am consecrating this to the Lord. Have the priest come in and bless your home right? Have them enthrone the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. Pray, 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 and say, this is where it starts. This is the refuge. This is the stronghold. This is the fortress of our God right here, right now. That's what this place is going to be. And you're just going to bring together like-minded people. You're going to reprioritize your own personal schedule to make sure your fraternity meetings or sorority meetings are there you're forming a brotherhood or sisterhood of evangelists. But first, you have to be radical disciples. That means you have to be honest with each other. That means you have to forgive and repent. That means you have to rebuke one another. I always tell people the true measure of a community is the level by which they can uh, rebuke one another and it not end their relationships, right? So here in the heart of everything, what evangelical pastors what they do, they don't start with a parish, right? It's not like a diocese creates a new boundary, uh, boundary lines and a new building fund and you just go and build it, right? No, you're starting from scratch, right? You have to jettison the old standard status quo ways that got us where we are now. If you begin to see the church in mission and understand the church as a mission, then what you begin to do is live a missional discipleship. You have to live the missionary lifestyle. Right. So all of you listening, we're going to come back and I'm going to have a few uh, practicals that we can do from this point. We're going to listen to a word from our sponsors, the fine folks at Ascension Press. Email us, eksb at ascensionpress.com. But also, if you like this show and you find it valid and practical and it speaks to your heart and your fervent desire for the church today, what I want you to do right now, please, is go and write a review. It could be just like, what, two sentences, I think you need some sort of minimum word count. Go and write a review. Write a review and give it the five stars that you know my my beautiful voice and my nickname, Sir Dave, deserves so that more and more people like Linnea, who are maybe desperate in different parts of you know, the, the, the world, right? The different parts of what used to be Christendom who are watching their beloved church fall into decay can say, now is the time we need to be disciples, not just disciples. We need to be missionaries, not just missionaries, brothers, and sisters. We have to be radical. We have to be radical and we have to take ownership for it. All right. Uh, we're going to hit our practical points when we come back from this brief commercial break. Oh yeah. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, 
If you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And what I want you to do is I want you to start prioritizing what is your small group, your cohort, right? Your fraternity, your sorority, whatever you want to call it, however you want to imagine it, put a structure to it, sub rula. One of the things that Exodus 90 has taught me so much and so well is that if you do not have intentionality about your day, you will drift into nothingness. When it comes to churches and how they're run, when it comes to corporations and nonprofits and any organization, when it does a little bit of everything, it's actually accomplishing nothing. So your group, your your people, what we need to do is radically focus on the main thing and keep that the main thing. So what is your main thing? Your main thing is the evangelization of your community through radical Christian discipleship. So number one, you are going to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. You are going to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. That means you're going to study the gospel of Mark fervently. You're going to be dedicated to becoming a lion in the wilderness. Uh, the prophet Amos, this is one of Dave Van Vickle's favorite uh, scripture passages, and one actually that we became friends over. I found out that Dave just had a, a an index stack of cards that he was memorizing scripture, flashcards. He was memorizing scripture. And I said, well, what are you reading right now? And he said, Amos, uh, the lion roars in the wilderness. Who will not be afraid? The Lord speaks. Who shall not prophesy? The Lord is speaking. The lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring. Okay. It is your turn now to prophesy to prophesy over God's people, to prophesy over your city, your community, your town, whatever fringe part of Christendom you live, that is your place to begin to prophesy. There are so many dry bones that are yearning for the word of the Lord to speak over them. So devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Make the gospel of Mark your gospel. Own it. Read it from beginning to end. It is fierce. It is furious. It is very brief compared to the others, right? And so I want you to be devoted to the gospel of Mark. Okay, the next thing, devoted to the fellowship. This is your cohort, fraternity, sorority, whatever you want to call it, your small group, your missional, post-evangelical, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some buzzwords. This is it. This is it. This is your religious order, okay? You are going to say, we are going to commit to meeting weekly, we're going to meet at this time, come hell or high water, and we are going to be absolutely dedicated to confessing our sins before God, praising and thanking him, right? All of the stuff that we need to do in our own personal prayer life, we are going to do it with at least one other person. We're going to say, this is where I am, and I will not be moved. I will not let the devil deter me from the path. Uh, I will not let the world disguise my zeal for, you know... Uh, one of the things that I constantly run up with people who are like, I'm really into my faith, but I don't want to look like a crazy person. Don't let the world disguise zeal for being crazy. You know what it is. You know what your people need. You know what sins they need to be rescued from. But your ultimate enemy is actually going to be your flesh in this regard because you're going to be so prideful and so arrogant. You're not going to want to rebuke anyone else because you're afraid to make someone feel uncomfortable. And you're not going to want to be rebuked because you're a hero in your own eyes. But a radical disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be committed to fellowship. You don't have fellowship just because you like the person. You have fellowship 
because you love them. You love them with the love of Christ. Okay. Number, uh, so you're going to be committed weekly. We are going to do this. We're going to fast together. We're going to pray together. We're going to do this. The breaking of the bread. I need you at least one additional mass a week to offer it up solely for this project. You're going to receive the Eucharist. You're going to say, Jesus, I receive this on behalf of all those who are not in communion with you, right? Breaking bread is so important. Breaking bread is a meal as well as the holy sacrifice of the mass. So that can be the way your domestic church onboards people into the church as that middle ground from the secular world to the inside of the sanctuary. Your home can be the place, a refuge, right, where people can have meals. But I think first and foremost, it needs to be Eucharistic, especially at this stage. This is where you involve your priest in your missionary endeavors, right? As a layperson, you have every right and duty to preach the gospel and live a missionary lifestyle. You don't need your local pastor's permission to be a Catholic, okay? Go for it all out. You have a Protestant background. You know the love of Scripture. You know how the Word of God animates everything. So let the Word of God uh, made flesh point you into the right evangelical um, dimension, right? Go and do this. This is in your DNA. We can do this, but make sure it's Eucharistic, right? The one problem with so much Protestant evangelicalism, it is there is zero reciprocity between individual faith and the celebration of the sacraments. We need as Catholics to see the sacramental and evangelical missions as not separate, but the same. When Jesus commissioned us, he says, go therefore into all the nations and or go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and then teaching them, right? So our whole idea is you can't separate the sacramental ministry from the evangelical ministry. We cannot and should not do that. Lastly, so devote yourself to the gospel of Mark. Be devoted and come up with a good rule, sub-rula. Be under a rule for your little band of brothers or sisters. Be devoted to the fellowship. Breaking of the bread. Make the Eucharist at least once a week after Sundays solely for this purpose. If you can get your cohort together, do that. If not, it doesn't matter. Do it and make that commitment. And finally, the prayers. The prayers, the prayers, the prayers. I don't know what your town looks like. I don't know how much winter. I just imagine just everything's covered in snow uh, during the winter, but I don't know what it's like. I don't know how you can operate outside, but if you can physically walk the block, do it. If you can physically go to the scary parts of town and you're or not scary parts of town, but shady parts of town, places where there is darkness and you can go and just pray and pray and pray. Dave has a intercessory prayer group ministry whenever he goes to a church i started doing this just on my own and we started getting converts that just were like i heard god say to me go to saint anthony's this is someone who lives in Pearland. i want you to google map that Pearland to the woodlands in texas see how far apart they are and realize only god could have made that movement on that person's heart so uh the prayers intercessory prayers and prayers for the holy spirit to cause renewal right now but this is the whole point of what I'm trying to say. Don't fight for the parish to thrive. The parish will thrive as an end result. Programs and full churches, that is an end result of individuals and groups who have said, enough is enough. I am dedicated to missionary activity, right? I am going to see my own neighborhood as missionary activity. I don't know how it's going to look more than that. You have so many different languages, so many different issues. I'm going to say, be radical about this. Start looking at your next door neighbors and saying, what is keeping them from the love, from receiving the love of God? What is keeping them? 
Maybe I'm that person. Maybe you're just one person in a long line of people that it's going to take of sowing seed before the seed eventually takes root in the soil. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit, God alone gives the growth. You just sow that seed. Okay, God alone gives the growth. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. I know it's kind of awkward with just me ranting on for 30 minutes, but uh, what we're going to do right now, everyone as a community, as a, a legion of apostles and prophets and teachers and preachers, what we're going to do right now is we're just going to ask Our Lady to intercede for Amber. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Everyone also, we need to keep Linnea in groups like this, parishes like this, on the fringes of the empire, right? We need to keep them in our prayers. All right. God bless you all. God love you. Adios.